Greetings. Welcome to the Point Being Ipsos' public polling podcast. This is November 13th, 2018, episode 53. I am your host, Chris Jackson, joined as always by Mallory Newell. Hi there. And this is our post-election special edition. We're going to do lots of special editions. It's just sort of fun. They'll just be regular editions, but we're just going to call them special editions because it seems more enjoyable that way. Every edition of this podcast is a special edition. We're also going to start telling people that it costs a certain amount of money, but we're giving it to them for free as a way to encourage them to open the podcast. We've been told that's a way to encourage people to like listen or read things. We'll see if it works. Um, but this is the first podcast after the midterm election. Uh, Mallory, we've gotten a bunch of questions already. Let's go through some of them. Uh, I think the first question, though, everyone has uh, asked and debated for the last week is, was there a blue wave? Good question. Um, one that I don't think has such a clear-cut answer, because I think how you define a wave is different, right? Some people see that the fact that the Democrats won more seats than the historical average as the sign of a wave. Other people say, no, it wasn't because it was only in, you know, these victories were only in certain parts of the country or they didn't reach 40 seats, whatever the case may be. So I think what we need to do is kind of take a step back and look at the reasons that are contributing to people calling it a wave election. Mm -hmm. And what are those? So the first is uh, if you look at that number of seats that I just mentioned, historical average is um, the party not in power, um, in this case the Democratic Party, picks up an average of 33 seats during a midterm election. Yep. Um, and though not at, still at this point, we're a week out from the election, not everything has been counted, That's right. finalized. There's still 10 races, I think, that haven't been called in the House. Right. But even so, at this point, we are beyond that. Right. Democrats have won more seats than that. So, um, yes, Democrats outperformed expectations in the House of Representatives. Okay. Um, the other factor that I just mentioned, though, I think is, um, and Chris, I think you have a follow-up question on this, so maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but um, looking at the difference in the results in the two chambers, right? Mm -hmm. If we take only the House into consideration, then yes, Democrats performed very well. Um, but we also have to keep in mind that um, Republicans are still in control of the Senate, right. and Republicans did have some key pickups in the Senate, namely defeating uh, Democratic incumbents in Missouri, North Dakota, and Indiana. So how can it be a Democratic wave if Republicans actually increased their margin in the Senate? Well, I think uh, the, the path for Democrats to hold their margin in the Senate or to do well in the Senate was always a bit harder, something that we talked about in past podcast episodes. Mm -hmm. um, the reason for that just being that um, in many of these states that were up for re-election for the Senate this year, they were places that uh, had gone for Trump in 2016. In uh, some case, double digits by yes. Trump. Um, and that the president was still very well liked, you know, leading into... Uh, election day, the president's approval rating in Indiana, for example, was above 50%. Mm -hmm. 
So I think that's something to take into consideration. Now, the House, there was a much more favorable path forward for Democrats. A lot of open seats, which had been vacated by Republicans. Retirements and people stepping down or stepping up to run for other offices. Right. Um, And you had a lot of places that um, a lot of these open seats had... Um, they were Clinton Republican districts, meaning that a Republican won the House, but uh, people in that district supported Hillary Clinton in 2016. So you already have signs of openness to voting for a Democrat. And in certain places, you know, there's been a lot of talk about suburban districts, suburban women, college-educated people. It's really all saying the same thing, that these specific districts were ripe for a Democratic pickup. Mm, Interesting. So uh, what were the prevailing forces that were sort of driving this election as we watched it unfold on last Tuesday? Um, Quite a few. You want to talk about turnout first? Sure. Let's talk about turnout. Okay. So turnout was record setting for a midterm, right? Yes. Um, There was a lot of talk going into the election about the early vote. which was important, right? In some places, early voting hit historic records. Um, But what sort of remained to be seen was what that would mean on Election Day. But I think we saw when you look at both early vote and turnout on Election Day, people came out in record numbers. Um, The one stat that I can recall off the top of my head that really struck me was what happened in Texas. In Texas, in early voting alone, you had 4.5 million people Mm -hmm. that voted before Election Day. That nearly matched total turnout. Everybody that voted in Texas in 2014, the total 2014 turnout in Texas was 4.7 million. So if you look at that, you know, just early voting coming close to the Texas electorate as a whole just four Mm -hmm. years ago, that to me was really striking. Yeah, and... and there's, again, we're still counting up all the votes. Don't know the exact number, but it actually looks like turnout for this midterm was actually not terribly m- much lower than turnout was in the 2016 presidential election. That's impressive. Which is weird because normally <laughs> presidential years turn out 20% higher than a midterm. Right. So is this going to be normal? Is this a new era of public engagement in the system? Or is this... A reaction to Trump. Can it be both? Maybe. We can find out. I mean, I think obviously we're not going to know if this is a new normal until we at least get through another election cycle. I think actually what's worth noting is we do have a couple states that have off-year elections. We've got legislative races in New Jersey next year, Mm -hmm. along with statewide elections in Louisiana and Kentucky. Um, So those can be key indicators to watch, too, as some people were watching special elections earlier this year. Um, But I I don't necessarily think they're mutually exclusive. I think for a lot of people um, on the Democratic side, this election was a referendum on Trump. Um, And for that, it sort of, you know, Ipsos and Reuters did some research on people's voting behaviors and found that that anger or outrage is... Is really driving... Is really high. Yeah. And driving a lot of behavior. Driving a lot of voting behavior. So, um, yeah, I I think hopefully I would love to see it be our new normal. I think more participation 
in elections and people exercising their right to vote is is a good thing. Um, so in what places was this election sort of decided? Like where, what were the sort of the swing districts or linchpins of this election? Um, looking at the House. Or the Senate, either okay. one. Um, and actually, there's there's one thing that we haven't talked about yet, and that's um, democratic performance in, in gubernatorial elections as well. Yes, yeah, so I was going to get to that. Okay. Um, well, that's one of my answers, right? Right. Um, and I'm not just saying this because we all know how much I love talking about the Midwest, but I think if you look at the Midwest, if you look at those Rust Belt states where Trump um, narrowly eked out a victory in 2016, uh, you saw the tide turning here and that quote-unquote blue wall starting to rebuild a little bit. Um, there's, you know, key house races that were won throughout Pennsylvania, throughout mm. Michigan. Uh, you had a Democrat win the gubernatorial elections in Wisconsin, right. very narrowly defeating Scott Walker and in mm. Michigan. Yep. Um, so yeah, Democrats performed quite well across the Midwest. Mm -hmm. um, and depending on your definition of the Midwest, you can also look at Democratic success in Iowa and in Kansas as part of that. Right. Um, other, other areas, other groups that performed well? I think the other place that was interesting to watch was the suburbs and it seemed to be suburban districts where these Republican districts that they lost a lot of ground in as you referenced earlier yeah. um, you know and it seems like urban centers are democratic rural areas are Republican it's these suburban areas that seem to be swinging back and forth and it's interesting because I think that's where you actually see a lot of the impact of how districting works um, because it's how people in state legislatures and state governments draw these districts really influence how much the suburbs influence the entirety of the district. So you have Iowa, right, which has four districts, three of which went Democratic this year. Iowa is not anyone's measure of an urban state at all, but they've drawn each of those districts to include, except for Steve King's, um, at least a portion of a semi-major population area, which has some impact on driving the vote. Right. Right, as opposed to like other states that have been very careful to draw their districts to not, uh, to, to be very safe for Republicans or Democratic members. Um, referencing what you actually talked about a minute ago, the gubernatorial races, a phenomenon I saw on the election that I found particularly interesting or noteworthy and would, would appreciate your sort of thoughts is uh, the Atlantic coast, right? From Maryland up to Maine is like a democratic stronghold, right? It's the one of the most solidly democratic parts of the country. And yet we have Republican governors Republican winning by governors. large margins in Maryland, Massachusetts, Vermont, New Hampshire. What is the deal with these Republican governors doing so well in the liberal Northeast? Well, some of those states that you mentioned have had a history of moderate Republican elected officials in statewide office before, New Hampshire, one of them. Mm -hmm. New Hampshire, I think, is an interesting case, too, because they elect their governor every two years. So from the moment that you are elected into office, you're essentially campaigning again, right? right. And that state has sort of swung back and forth 
a little bit at the statewide level in recent years. Um, but I think the bigger takeaway is that in all of these places, um, particularly in Massachusetts and in Maryland, you have these incumbent, well-liked Republican governors mm -hmm. that have not run on a national Trump Republican agenda. Um, honestly, some of their campaign ads, it's hard to tell what party they represent. Right. Uh, and that, I think, speaks to why they're so successful there. You know, you have Charlie Baker in Massachusetts, Larry Hogan in Maryland, who are, um, I think, very good at communicating the successes that their administrations mm -hmm. have, you know, brought to their state, things that they can take credit for at right. a statewide level and have just ignored all of the national, like, partisan bickering and partisan, you know, platforms to a huge extent and just focused only on their state and run on their accomplishments. And won by double-digit margins yeah. doing that. And there's a lot of people. I mean, you look at um, Massachusetts, there's a lot of people in that state that are Warren Baker voters. So Right. Yeah, there has a to willingness. be, right? Because they both won by like 20-point margins. Right. There's a willingness there to cross over the aisle um, and a willingness on the elected officials' part to know how to reach out to people outside of their party. Hmm. Fascinating. Um, so looking forward, uh, people are already gearing up for the 2020 election. It's already time to start talking about the no, next presidential. we're a week out from the election. Which means we're a week into the 2020 <laughs> campaign. Um, I'm not going to, I don't want to talk about who's winning and who's losing because it's all name recognition at this point. Um, but what populations, what groups of people are in play? White women. White women. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think white women, and I say that um, because they proved to be a very interesting case study um, in certainly in this past election, but also in the presidential election. There's that term 53% that people like to throw around a lot, referring, of course, to the 53% of white women that supported Donald Trump in 2016. Um, but here, I think there's actually a bit more nuance um, to the way that people look and talk about white women mm -hmm. based on what happened last week. Um, so take, for example... Um, just some of the states where um, we had pretty varying um, results at the statewide level. So on one hand, you have states like Wisconsin, you have states like Kansas, right. um, and Michigan and Pennsylvania. Um, we at Ipsos actually did an analysis of the president's approval rating across mm -hmm. a number of states that we polled in prior to the election. And what we found is that in those states where Democrats did well, the president's approval rating among white women is underwater. He's not doing well. With that group. With that group. Um, if you look at states on the other side, so that's Indiana, that's North Dakota, Missouri, um, the president's approval rating among white women is over or at least at 50%. Mm -hmm. um, so... Women, white women here are interesting to watch because clearly their support for the president and his policies has a lot to do with um, some of the outcomes that we saw on election night. 
Um, And going back to what we were saying about suburban districts earlier, uh, it was women, really, in a lot of these suburban, um, more college-educated, perhaps more affluent districts Mm -hmm. uh, that were turning out um, and supporting Democratic candidates, many of whom those candidates themselves are women. Right. You know, I think it's really noteworthy that um, this election was historic for many reasons, but one of them is that the House of Representatives is sending over 100 women to Congress for the first time ever. Like, so now that's huge. Almost one in four members of Congress will be a woman. Yes, almost. It's only halfway to go. It was becoming, some would say, more representative more, of the yeah. American public. Ah, the House of Representatives. Um, yeah, I think that it's important to sort of keep in mind when talking about elections that if you sort of look at the American population by demographics, about a third of voters are white men, a third of voters are white women, and a third of voters are minorities. White men pretty much vote Republican these days. Minorities pretty much vote Democratic these days. White women, depending on where you are in the country and how they feel about Donald Trump, are that swing group that that are going back and forth. And I think that's why you saw a lot of that focus on health care, an issue women care about generally more than men do, um, among the Democratic Party. And I think it'll be interesting over the next two years to see if Donald Trump sort of appeal to the sort of culture, cultural argument, right, sort of a white culturalism uh, or democratic appeals to a much more sort of kitchen, pocketbook-focused, policy-centric uh, view of government will be more appealing. Right. Going into 2020. Right. Yeah. Um, all right. So next week is the week of Thanksgiving. I think we'll be taking a hiatus then. Uh, but we'll be returning after that uh, for the next issue of The Point Being. We'll have more polling data to talk about, more speculation about 2020 to talk about, um, maybe even some non-political related stuff uh, as a nice palate cleanser going into the new year. I hope that we can be filled with some gratitude about all of this election, maybe ready to leave it behind, and hopefully some some stuff that we can look towards before diving headfirst into 2020, in the spirit of Thanksgiving, of course. That's right, in the spirit of Thanksgiving. Uh, thanks for joining us. This is The Point Being. Have a great holiday. Thanks, everyone.